0: Hey guys, it's Heather. I wanted to update you on a couple of important things. First, if you haven't already downloaded the Wayo app, it's the best way to get connected with the House of Light and keep up to date on sermons. Second, we're starting Pentecost weekend off on June 2nd with our Friday night worship, followed by a Saturday food packing event with Project 58, and of course our Pentecost service on Sunday, June 4th. You won't want to miss it. This week's sermon is part two of God's glory on our house. Enjoy this message. There's a presence here today for sure. You know, in the Old Testament, God would send prophets and they would uh, be sent to turn people and nations from destructive behavior. They would come and they would speak the word of the Lord and especially in the Old Testament, we, we see this. They would come in the midst of chaotic, destructive behaviors, especially with God's people. And they would speak the word of the Lord, not to judge them, but so in hopes that they would turn because in my interpretation, their behavior was what was bringing destruction. And God's heart wasn't like, hey, I'm wanting to judge you because of this. His heart was, I don't want you to go this path because I know it's going to lead to destruction. So he was faithful to send prophets. and He would speak to his people to turn them so that this destruction could be averted from their life. Now, one of these such prophets was a man named Isaiah. If you... If you want to just read a renowned prophet. Isaiah is, one of, to me, one of the most powerful books in the Bible. And Isaiah was sent to God's people in such a time as this. He used words like, your country is desolate. Uh, your whole head is sick. Sin and rebellion are bringing on disaster. Jerusalem, he actually said, his words are filled with filth. He describes a society that has been shot through with moral perversion, relational and religious hypocrisy, confused families where parents had lost all control of their children, and so many problems that were resulted from corrupted living. Now what's wild is you read it, even though it was written thousands of years ago, is as if we were watching headline news today. Violence, perversion, addiction, rebellion, confused families, relational and religious hypocrisy, political hypocrisy, suicide, depression, disease, disaster. He's speaking to a people just like you and me, who are just simply trying to cultivate roots and raise a family and develop a career, or, or maybe just live a life of vibrant faith. And if Isaiah's first forecast were the whole picture, or the whole story, it would appear that the prospects for us to have a house of glory in our time is just as bad it was for them in their time. But Isaiah had a second word, a brighter hope. He spoke that a day would come through the Messiah that God would rebuild society by redeeming people and their homes. This promise is packed with the most remarkable promises from God. And what's the most remarkable for me is that Isaiah prophesied there would come a day through the Messiah that the glory of God would be right here on our homes as a people. And So in Isaiah chapter 4, I'll share this portion of scripture with you today. It says something like this. In that day, somebody say that day. The branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem shall be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. And purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst. By the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining flaming fire by night. For over all the glory will be a covering and there shall be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain if you look into that prophecy because some of you may not be familiar with this terminology when he speaks of the branch of the lord he's speaking of jesus christ the messiah i'll just run these at you quick so you make sure and get this it's all through the scriptures that our our, our messiah jesus christ was prophesied as the branch Isaiah 53 says, who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. Spe- dry, dry ground, speaking of the Messiah. Yes. Isaiah 11:1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, speaking of Jesus. Jeremiah 33, in those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch, of righteousness and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in those days, Judah shall be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this is the name by which he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. (laughs) Zechariah prophesied. Now listen, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, they are men who are assembled for behold, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. So when we talk about the branch, we're talking about Jesus the Messiah who came out of a dry place, came out of the root of Jesse, came up out of the earth through the prophecies of, 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 of God and now fulfilled these Old Testament mandates that he is the Lord our righteousness. Zion, that's the second word that's important because Zion was not only the name for a geographical place but it was actually the name of God's people. Isaiah 52, 1, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. That's talking about a people group. That's talking about the sons and daughters of God, according to Psalm 147, 12. Praise the Lord, O you Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. So when he's saying a branch shall spring forth and a branch shall bring this to pass and everybody in Zion shall be covered with a cover of glory. He's speaking of us as a people when he's talking about Zion. Also, Zion is our assemblies. When we assemble, assemble together, according to Hebrews 12, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of church of the firstborn who are ra- registered in heaven. Now, the meaning of this terminology may elude some who don't know the background of the prophets, but to everybody he addressed, this message was clear. What was he saying? Isaiah the prophet came on the scene and he said, look, the, the land is desolate. Rebellion's at an all-time high. Sin, and, sin has brought on great destruction. Disease is prevalent. Depression, disaster is on the way. But, but there shall come a branch That will be raised up. And he began to prophesy a day that I believe is the day that we are living in right now in in the earth. And those those people, they understood this because when he was talking to them, they understood the promise was what? God is going to fill your house with glory the same way he filled the tabernacle of Moses and the same way he filled Solomon's temple to Isaiah's listeners, this was far more than a religious experience. This was far more than a religious place. It meant a lot more. It was the promise of the presence of God that would bring hope and healing and wholeness and happiness right where you and I live. The prophet was foretelling the possibility of homes like yours and mine being lit up with the love of God, filled with the brightness of his blessings and defended by the fire of his glory on any attempts of the adversary to come against us. Touch two or three four people, say he's talking about your house. Touch somebody else, say he's talking about your house. That's why Isaiah 60 says, gross darkness shall cover the whole face of the earth, but when it does, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shall be seen. Some them, somebody say, it's my light. Tell them, it's my light. See, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded that God's raising up a church in this hour that our very homes are gonna be lit up with the glory of God and we will live distinctly different from those around us, not because of our religious behavior, but because right in the midst of darkness, we will be shining as bright lights in the dark place. Not only did Jesus forgive our sins, but he paid the price so that the glory of God could be on our house. So let's look quickly at the biblical definition of house. If we're saying we believe that the glory of God is gonna be on your house and on my house, then the biblical, defin- the biblical word is a Greek word oikos or a Hebrew word baith, both of those mean to build. Both words refer to much more than a structure. The Lord says something like this. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor labors in vain. The Lord is building you a house. Don't you love it? David came, he said, God, I wanna build you a house. God said, I don't need a house. He said, I've never lived in a house from the beginning. He said, I've dwelt in tents. He said, what you don't understand, it ain't about you building me a house, I'm gonna build you a house. Come on, somebody. We're all talking about building the Lord's house. Lord, I'm gonna build you a house. I'm gonna build you a house that the winds are gonna blow, the storms are gonna come, but because I built your house, it ain't gonna shake and it ain't gonna fall, even in the midst of darkness. Somebody shout, the Lord's building me a house. Number one, when we see this these Greek and Hebrew words, it does mean real estate whether it's a house or a condo, a mobile home or an apartment. All are included in the term dwelling place. And God wants to make no mistake. He likes places where people welcome him into their physical dwellings. Exodus 25 and 8 and 22 says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, and there I will meet with you. God loves it to, when he's invited into a physical dwelling place. And by the way, a lot of us don't realize this, is real estate. When you own it, it's deeded. Actually, it's not just the land, but it's actually everything above, above it and everything beneath it. Heaven to hell. And you've got authority to stand in your house and open up heaven and lock up hell and say, this is my house. A couple of goes to our church live over in Gadsden. Back when that bad tornado came a few years back. He got outside his house and took the shofar. It says, this house belongs to the Lord. And blew the shofar. The tornado hit the house on this side of him. And the house on that side of him. But didn't hit his house. Now, here's what's interesting. Not even a piece of debris was in his yard. Except for one thing that he found in the front yard which was a page of a pocket New Testament. That somehow had blown out of somebody's house into his front yard and he picked it up. He brought it to me in a plastic bag. He brought it and it was the page that talked about Jesus speaking to a storm and it stopped. See, we 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 give way too much sovereignty and authority away that God has actually given us. God's given you your home, and he's given you dominion and authority over your home. And I'm prophesying he's gonna be a covering and a dwelling over your house for you and your family in this season. Somebody shout, glory on my house. Two, it speaks of relationships when you speak of house. The term house has always been used to describe the immediate circle of family or intimate relationships. How about Joshua 2 or Joshua 24? As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Well obviously that's not talking about my bricks and mortar. That's talking about all my kids, my grandkids. For me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Families and relationships involve much more than biological genetics. They're spiritual genetics. God's promise of glory on our house is intended to be understood as a promise with real and practical possibilities. That spiritual life and power may be transmitted through your family. As sure as your kids have your eyes and your hair, they can get your spiritual DNA out of your house. Everybody says, well, everybody's got to get their own relationship with Jesus. Well, according to the scripture, it says a sanctified wife sanctifies the whole house. A sanctified husband sanctifies the whole house. There's a spiritual DNA that you have authority that you can say for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord, and it doesn't matter how whacked out your kids may be right now. It doesn't matter how bad your circumstances look right now. You've got the spiritual authority because of the glory on your house to claim your whole house and household salvation. Acts sixteen thirty one says you will be saved, you and your household. Not only that, Joel prophesies that God wants to pour out His Spirit on your sons and your daughters he's the god of abraham isaac and jacob i'd like to say that again he's the god of abraham isaac and jacob my bible says a curse can go to the third and fourth generation but the blessings of god go to a thousand generations. So I have no problem. I have no problem saying there are some curses that we have to break out of, and there are some judgments. But it's a thousand to three. You may have got up under a mess and got a curse on you, but as soon as you get under a blessing, it'll last a thousand <laughs> generations to come. Somebody shout glory on my house. Y'all are easy this morning. Speaks of my responsibilities. In other words, my work, my career, my occupation. This word refers to our duties at work, our daily business enterprises. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, 2, Moses was faithful in all his house. Well, that wasn't talking about where he lived. That was talking about what God had called him to do, to build the tabernacle. This is referring to Moses' fulfillment of his leadership duties and the completion of his his God-appointed task. It says, when Moses finished the work, the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God wants to get in your business. God wants to get in your career. God wants to get in your job. God wants to get in the schools. God's glory, when it talks about your house, that's not just where you live. That's where you go. That's where you work. That's what you do. And God's glory. God's glory wants to go with you and give you a promotion And when everybody else is getting maybe let go you're going to be getting an uprising a promotion because that's god's glory that's the way god's glory works come on now the lesson's clear the glory of god comes in our lives in practical duties i'll never forget raymond horn my friend that owned the harley shop over here he got came on easter sunday and got saved here and the next monday i just went by his uh or, or about a week or two later i went by his shop i walked in place was packed with bikers he said hey preacher all my stuff's doubled he said man this jesus stuff works why he got a simple revelation that it wasn't just for his sins being forgiven, but god would walk with him into that harley shop or go with him into business and god's glory would get involved in the daily things it says everything your hands touch god can cause it to prosper Somebody just lift up these hands and just say something like, God's glory on my house. Come on. (laughs) Speaks of influence, fourth and final. All of us, you see, have a scope of influence that's far broader than our close relationships or regular business associates. All of us have a scope of contact far broader. Years ago, research organizations sought to assess the power of influence for individual people in different walks of life. This blew my mind. The most striking discovery they made was not the enormity of the influence of highly visible people. Rather, they were amazed at the surprising number of people influenced, by significant or influenced significantly by the members of community deemed unimportant. Suddenly, the term unimportant, unimportant had disappeared. They found that in the course of one year, check this out, even a virtually homebound, reclusive, and withdrawing individual would make contact with more than 50 people. Are you hearing me? This study says that even somebody homebound, reclusive, in a year's period of time could have contact with an average of 50 people. Many of these individuals were said to have left an impression on others sufficient to be gauged as impacting. Small wonder then that God wants to fill your and my house with glory. Because what happens is our most ordinary circumstances often turn out to be vastly more important than we think, and we cannot afford to have them limited by anything less than God's light and God's warmth and God's blessings. God wants to get the glory on your house so you can get the glory on somebody else's house. Come on now. Scott Stanfield, who's sitting on the front row here, Their house, and and today you can find out more about houses of light that him and Lori are are directing, but the reason we chose them to lead this is because they have had a house of light for years. What happens, they open their house to God, invited God in their house, people get saved at their house, people get baptized at their house, people get healed at their house, people lose demons at their swimming pool. I'll be back over here, come on. People lose demons sitting out by the pool and they dunk them and baptize them right there in their house. And hundreds, yes, maybe even thousands of people have been affected because somebody opened their house to say, God, come and fill this house. I'm on now. now. Here's where I really got fired up as if I weren't yet. What I got fired up most about this passage of scripture was the means by which God would put the glory on your house. Because I'm sure many of you sitting there like me, I'm definitely not deserving of it. If we're getting it because we're deserving, we might as well pack up and head to the race. <laughs> go to the infield get ripped you know what I'm talking about it's like because it, if it's about me and you deserving it what ain't gonna happen what's amazing is God called said he would create a covering that has nothing to do with you It's nothing less than the same word that he used in Genesis. It says the Lord will create above every dwelling place the glory. It's the same word used in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Where it says God looked and saw chaos and darkness. And said let the Holy Spirit come and hover And then God said, let there be light and there was light. It's not about you fixing your chaos. It's not about you fixing your darkness. It's not about you fixing your problems. It's about inviting the spirit of God to come and he will hover over your house. And when that happens, God will create a covering and your house will be changed by the very glory of God. Come on somebody. Somebody shout, God's creating a covering for me. The pathway for this is praise. It's praise. Psalm 22:3 says, God is enthroned. Some people say inhabit, that's not the right translation. Is enthroned. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. God has given us a sovereign will to choose. He doesn't force himself on anybody. Isn't that amazing? He's the one that created you. The very air we're breathing, he gave it to us. The land we're living on, he created it. Yet, he won't force himself into our lives. And it may seem presumptuous to say this, but it's actually biblical. That word enthroned actually means to, to, to seat someone. So it basically, what it's saying is praise seats God on your house. And I know that may sound presumptuous that human beings can have anything to do with God taking a seat on his throne. Obviously since the sovereign creator himself needs neither our assistance or our approval to be enthroned but there is a subtle truth often overlooked by those of us who assert God's sovereignty so quickly that we forget our own. See, so many people say, well, it's just God's just sovereign. God just does what he wants, when he wants. That is not true. It's not in the Bible. Yes, there is the sovereignty of God, and I totally understand that. But he has given you and I a will, a choice to decide what we want in our lives. The biblical fact is each of you has been given a sovereign will. You have absolute control over your personal destiny that's been placed within your own decision-making power. Thus in matters that concern us, including all facets of our house, we are in full dominion. The fact is that's often the root of the problem. It's because you are in control and you you do have the power to make the right choices and you've let God out because you think you can manage your house by yourself without God getting involved. But there's a powerful solution. The pathway of praise is the approach to life that opens the way for God to begin to move in to fill our house with his glory. So we need to praise. And I'm not talking about necessarily the way we did it here this morning. I mean, I understand everybody, all of you can't play a guitar and shake it down like that. So don't think you gotta get a whole praise team at your house, you know what I'm talking about? Even though I really do appreciate Davy, his passion and zeal for the Lord, by the way, and I know I know for some that's shocking the way he worships God, and I know and I even felt some were shocked because he had a hat on. That's okay. God used it to spur up your judgment so He could deliver you from that. And at the same time, Davy won't mind taking it off if it bothers you. It's just fashion. (laughs) Wow, that was a real good one, wasn't it? Like, how did he know that? But it's about praise in your house. So powerful, this is where I wanna land with us here today. So powerful was, and so important that Jesus actually included this concept in the prayer he taught us to pray, in the Lord's Prayer. In his pattern for our prayers, asking for such things as daily forgiveness, daily provision, daily power to overcome, he also said pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on my earth. See, sometimes I think we've, we just say these prayers and we don't understand the meaning of them and it loses their power. It's like the word grace. It's lost its power because people use it to say, say and blessed. You know, it loses its power from what the biblical terminology meant for it to be. You know, grace was never supposed to be something you pray before, that's not what, you, that's not what happens before you eat. But we've said that's grace. Blessed, like, God bless you. But in the Bible, these two words were so powerful. Like, like if you got grace, that means that that word is like it was huge. I mean, if you ever found grace, that means you were you were you had won the lottery. I mean, if you ever found grace, I mean that means you were in the dilio bomb dilio. I mean, if you if you ever found it says Noah found. grace. Oh my God, if you ever found grace with God, that's why Moses said, I have found grace with, if you ever found grace with God, it was like, oh my God, the blessings of God are, I've just begin to overrun and overtake my life. If you ever got blessed, that wasn't just like, it was like something weighty got on you. That's what happened to Abraham. Isaiah 51, verse one, it says, remember the rock from which we were hewn, how I chose one man by himself, blessed him, and he became a nation. In other words, it didn't say how I chose one man and gave him help, how I chose one man and sent people to help him, how I got one man and educated him. It said, I found one man and blessed him. Oh, man, if you ever understand the power of getting up under a blessing, When you get up under a blessing, God will even bless your stuff and your mistakes. Abraham got under a blessing so powerful, he went into a king's house, lied about his wife, lied about why he was there, and somehow left with the man's wealth. Come on, somebody. Touch three or four or five people, say, you're about to get up under a blessing. Tell them you're about to. What's my point here? We gotta, these words are weighty. But we've we've moved them away from weightiness just to, they're just words, but let's get back with, thy kingdom come. What does that mean? Rule, lordship, authority. Not some dreamy idea about some mystical millennial future. The tense is actually now. Just as the rest of the prayer, Jesus points toward the pathway of worship filled praise. When he says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In other words, our Father in heaven, just paraphrasing, which means what? Thank you for the relationship that you've given me through your son. So it's just not like Father, some random Father. My Father. Hallowed be your name. You are holy, I worship you, and revel in the beauty of your completeness and excellence. Your kingdom come. Basically, there is no rule of my wisdom or of human working that can bring about your peace and power and blessing. It's only because your kingdom, your kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and I invite you to sit down right here on my life and my family with that. Your will be done. This is where most of us miss it. We're asking to bless our will. Not Lord bless my will. It's Lord your will be done. Not my will as Jesus prayed, but your will. On earth as it is in heaven. For there is no question your will is exercised where your throne is established. I don't think anybody has any problem believing heaven's in the will of God. I bet there's no demons in heaven. I bet there ain't no crippled people there. Come on, somebody. From, according to the book that they, Todd Burpo wrote about Heaven is For Real, where the kid had an experience and met his grandfather that he had never met, called Pap Pap, showed him a picture of him. The kid had an experience, out of body experience, when he had an uh, appendectomy and almost died. At six years old, he's walking around his family's house and he tells his mom, he said, I met Pap Pap. They go, they get the photo of him and say, That him? And he says, No, it was. Pat Pat before he died, he was old. He said, No, they kept turning through, found a picture when he was young, said, Oh, there he is, that's Pat Pat.'" I thought, Thank God, ain't no old people in heaven. <laughs> Touch about four or five people and say, Thank God, ain't gonna be no old <laughs> We have no problem believing there's no disease there. No poverty there. No confusion. So that's why he said, pray this way. Let thy kingdom come. Not thy kingdom go. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy will be done on earth as it's being done today in heaven. Mark Rutland had the privilege of meeting and knowing him when I lived in Florida and he went on, great man of God, been at ORU and now I think it's at Jensen Franklin's church. He's done a lot of great things. He's wrote, written a book called 21 uh, Seconds That'll Change Your Life. He said he was in the most disturbed, confused, weary, perplexed place of his life in living on the earth and in ministry. He said he really like deep, dark depression. Even though he'd been in the ministry for 40 years. He said, and the devil came to him right in the midst of it and said, I got you. He said, you don't even have a prayer now. He said, as soon as that happened, he said, the Holy Spirit welled up in him and said, yes, you do. I gave it to you. It's in Luke chapter 7. He said, I didn't feel it. I didn't get emotional about it. I just started praying the Lord's Prayer and realized it took me 21 seconds to pray it. He said, and I started praying a 21-second prayer every day of my life. And he said, it wasn't a matter of a short period of time. My whole circumstances shifted and changed and moved things around in my life. Jesus wouldn't have recorded that prayer for us if there wasn't something in it so powerful that we should be praying it every day of our life. So I just thought, in the midst of all this, we ought to just say, you know what? We're gonna start using this 21 second prayer and evoking God's glory on our house. 21 seconds, that's not much. When I get up in the morning, right before maybe I go to work, maybe while I'm driving in the car, maybe right before I go to bed at night, just rip that 21 second prayer. And pray it, realizing it's not just words, but you're actually, through those words, creating a place for God to sit down. <laughs> and rule and reign in your house. I'm telling you, this is a season where God's glory is going to be on your house. We, we've got, when you come into the lobby, we've got uh, houses of light. And there's people out there today... Uh, we have a, almost every region surrounding us with zone leaders rec, uh, recognized out there today. If you're not currently attending a house of light or establishing a house of light uh, in, our, in our congregation, we encourage you to do so because God's glory is on our house. Yeah. 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 I'll I, I go ahead and prophesy to you. There's, there, 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 we're in a day. Where it's not going to be you're coming saying, who got saved at church today? You're going to be coming saying, we had three people saved at my house this week, and we brought them to church with us today. It's not going to be we're just celebrating somebody got healed of cancer here at the church. You're going to be saying, we prayed for somebody at our house and got healed of cancer, and we brought them here to testify. It says, over every dwelling in Zion, there will be a covering of glory. Can you dream with me a minute? What in the world's going to happen to our region when we raise up a thousand houses of light? Portals over this whole region where God is ruling and reigning. This is the prophecy being fulfilled. Over every dwelling in Zion shall be a covering, a cloud by day and a fire by night, a cloud to bring blessings and warmth and peace, anointing and a fire to be there against any adversary that would try to come against you or your family. And I'm prophesying to you today and prophesying over families that God's glory is coming on your house and it's gonna bring divine order, it's gonna bring divine peace, it's gonna bring righteousness, it's gonna bring joy, it's gonna bring power and grace in this season like never before in Jesus' name, amen? Come on, stand up with me here. I hope you enjoyed this message. For more content like this, please visit wordalive.tv or download the Wayo app. If you're ready for your next step, jump into Freedom Track anytime. Have a great week.